Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. into anything, I want to take a little poll by show of hands. How many Disney fans do we have in the room? Of all things Disney, you are a fan of Disney. All right. Um, based on that reaction, there will probably be a few hands to go up for this one. How many of you would consider your fanaticism bordering on like obsession? Like you are Disney obsessed. Yeah, I figured. Uh, any, go ahead, show your hands. Show your hands. These are the crazy people in the room, guys. This is, this is, this is what it is, all right? I mean, I, I, I understand this because I am married to one of, of them. And, and I, it's not a surprise. It's not, like, it's not like Deanna kept that hidden until we got married and was like, hey, I'm a Disney-obsessed person. But I, I, I didn't really understand the full scope of what that would really mean. I mean, like when we had our daughter Riley, we did not have to buy any Disney movies because we already owned them all. You know what I'm talking about? How many, how many spouses of Disney-obsessed people do we have in the room? Raise your hand. It's okay. I know. I know. It, it hurts. I know it does. I know. I, I'm, considering, I'm considering for all of us to put together like a support group, you know, and, and it's going to be free to get in because God knows if your spouse is a Disney-obsessed person, you have no money to spend anyway, right? <laughs> Disney World will take your money from you. It's amazing how that happens. And so uh, obviously being a, uh, married to a Disney-obsessed person and then, and then her fanaticism, I don't know if it's genetic or what, but it's been passed down to our daughter. So she has it now. So we end up, as you can figure, at Disney World a lot. And I uh, have been there way more times than I can even count or want to count or want to have gone. Um, but it, it's, it's amazing, this, this place that they call the most magical place on earth. I disagree a little bit with that because I like Krispy Kreme donuts. And so to me, watching those, <laughs> really, watching those things go around that conveyor belt, that's the most magical place on earth. I don't care. I knew I, that's what I'm talking about. But man, I mean, Disney gives itself a nickname. How, how big of an organization, how powerful are you when you can give yourself a nickname that sticks? You know what I mean? And I know that from personal experience because I've tried to give myself nicknames in high school. Nobody could call me by my last name because my last name is Petrush, but when you look at it, it's, it looks like P-Truck. And so that's what I got. I got, hey, P-Truck. No, I don't want that. I want to be called, you know, Ace, you know, and that never, <laughs> never. Never happened, never stuck. And so the most magical place on earth, and for years I just, I did not buy into it. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe that this was the most magical place on earth. I didn't think it was possible, but I'll be honest with you. I'm starting to believe it. I am. I am. I'm starting to believe that Disney World is the most magical place on earth. And, and it's not the way that you might assume. It's not the way that their marketing campaign wants me to believe that it's the most magical place on earth. But I have realized that whatever pixie dust or magic wand or whatever they waved over this place, it does contain some kind of magic to make you pay to hate your whole day. That's amazing to me. <laughs> I pay over $100 a person to hate the, rest tw- the next 12 hours of my life. That's... That is serious magic, you know what I'm saying? And, and then, like, there's another form of magic that they use once you get inside of the gates that make grown adults lose their mind. Like, people with social skills and manners, that is all left outside the main gate. And once they get in, they're pushing your kid out of the way so that their kid can meet Mickey first. You know what I'm saying? Like, you've dealt with those people, right? You know, and that's, that's magic. And then I figured out that they use another brand of magic, too, that's pretty amazing, because you go and you leave, and you're like, I hate this place. I never want to come back here. Um, you know, and, and then, like, a couple of days later, you're like, you know what? We should go to Disney. That is magic. <laughs> How do they do that? And so... 
In all of my trips to Disney World, I, I, I cannot lie, I am, I am impressed with them as an organization. Their creativity is always off the charts. Um, you know, they, they just do things very, very well. And in fact, one of the things that I'm always very impressed with, and it's, it's probably not like the casual fan of Disney is not going to notice this kind of stuff, but I get impressed with the little things that they do that help to make an experience an experience at Disney World. And so one of those things is how they cover up all of the construction that they do. They're constantly building and changing things. And so when they're working on a building there, they don't just, you know, slap a little bit of like pardon our dust sticker on it and some caution tape. I mean, they put up these huge banners that, that it printed on there what it's going to look like. And it's almost even better than the real thing, you know I mean? And, and, and there was one time that we went to Disney and, and in Magic Kingdom, there was this huge wall around this big attraction that they were building. And there were these signs posted on the wall, these, these really nice, not real big, so you kind of had to get close to read them. And just, just a warning, I am that guy that reads all the signs at the amusement parks and everywhere else that I go. Do I have any, any fellow sign readers with me? A couple, it's okay, be proud. Yeah, I mean, we do that, right? I want to know the hit, I want to know everything about it. And so as I got closer, I realized that these signs had quotes from Walt Disney himself on there. And, and a lot of Disney quotes are really, really famous and very recognizable. You know, the one quote that he had, it all started with a mouse, you know, that whole thing. And as I was reading these, I came across one that said, it's kind of fun to do the impossible. And I thought, man, Walt Disney got it right. Now, I'm not saying that that necessarily that way, said that way is biblical, but I believe that there's some truth to that. It really is kind of fun to do the impossible. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so I want you to turn to somebody beside you and say, nothing is impossible. Now turn to the second choice that you had on the other side of you that didn't get first pick and tell them, I'm sorry you didn't get first pick, but nothing is impossible. Go ahead. <laughs> it, hurt, it hurts to know you were the second round draft pick, doesn't it? Sorry. Man, I, I want you to think, I don't want you to answer out loud. I don't want you to raise a hand when you identify with one of these things because I might not list off something, but I want you to, to think and get in your mind and your heart as we're talking this morning. What is an impossible situation that you are faced with in your life right now? What, what is something when you, when you stare at it face to face, eye to eye, unless circumstances change in a drastic way or unless something or someone intervenes, there is an impossible situation that is staring you down. For some of you, maybe it has to do with something in your family. Maybe it's, it's with your children. Maybe it's with a spouse. I, I, don't, I don't know what that looks like for you, but maybe that's, that's where it is. It's in your home somewhere. Maybe your kids are drifting further and further away from you, further and further away from God, and you just realize that you are facing an impossible situation unless something crazy happens, unless something intervenes. The circumstances are telling you that this is impossible. Or maybe you're having that same kind of a problem with a spouse, and you and the spouse have had issues, and you're drifting apart and further and further apart. It just seems like reconciliation at this point as an impossibility. There's just, there's just no way. That's a mountain that's in front of you right there. Or maybe for you, it, it has something to do with your job. On your job, somehow there is, there is an impossible situation that you're facing. Somebody else is getting all the credit for everything that you're doing and you can't advance in this company because of that. Or, or maybe it's the lack of a job in your life and you can't find a job. There's, you've applied everywhere, you've put in resumes everywhere and nobody's calling back and it just seems like for you to get a job at this point, it, it's, it's an impossibility. Or maybe for you this morning, it has something to do with your finances, with your bank account. There's more going out than there is coming in every month and it's not like you're spending like crazy. It's just you've got bills to pay and the income doesn't match the expenditures. And, and, and it just looks like, man, to make it this month, this is an impossible situation that I'm facing right now. And maybe for some of you, it has to do with your health. Maybe there's a diagnosis or there's something going on in your body and the doctors are all telling you the same thing. And there is this, this impossibility in front of you with your health. Unless something drastic changes, then your health is being affected. 
Maybe it's, it's having something to do with a decision that you have to make, a, a left or a right that you've got to make, a fork in the road, and you don't know which way to go, and you just feel like it's an impossible decision to make. Yeah, I know we've got a lot of students in this room. Students, maybe for you, that's peer pressure. Maybe the things that your friends are trying to get you to do, that they're putting so much pressure on you to do, you feel like it's absolutely impossible to live for God in the midst of the world that you live in. There are impossible situations that we come up and face every single day, but let me give you some hope today. Can we do that? because I've depressed everybody so far, right? The hope is this, is that nothing is impossible with God. The hope is that Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Your impossible situation that you have in your mind and in your heart that you're thinking of that I may have mentioned or may not have mentioned, there is nothing, absolutely nothing that is impossible with God. There is this uh, amazing um, part of scripture that captures this moment where there's this man that comes to Jesus and his disciples. A couple of, of chapters before, uh, we just read that verse right there in Matthew chapter 17, and, and, and his son, this man's son, has these seizures. And, and they're, they're concerned about the son because if he has a seizure near a fire or near water, obviously it could be life-threatening for him. And, and, and the dad knows the only way that he's going to get healed is to bring him to Jesus. And so he tries to get him to Jesus. Somehow the disciples end up praying for this man's child instead. And, and they just can't, they can't get it done. They can't heal him. Nothing is happening. And so he does what most uh, good parents would do. He goes over the disciples' heads because that's what we do when we don't get the results that we want. Wherever we are, we go over somebody's head to the next level, right? I, I mean, a, a couple of years ago when I was a youth pastor, we did this event where we, um, we did a, a paintball war kind of day, right? Because there is, I'm telling you, as a youth pastor, there is nothing more therapeutic than shooting the kids you minister to. Like it is, <laughs> that is holy ground when that happens. It is. And a lot of you are so thankful that I am not the youth pastor here anymore. Um, but we had all these paintballs. We had a great event. And afterwards, we had like two or three boxes of, of, of these paintballs left or that, that weren't open. They were brand new, still in the packaging. And so I thought, man, I could take these back and get some money. They're not cheap. And so I decided to go take them back to the place that I love returning things, Wally World, or may, as you may know, a Walmart, right? Um, if you're like me, I, I have this issue with returning items that I've purchased. I, even if I'm well within my rights that is listed on the receipt, I have the receipt, everything is unopened in new condition, however they say it. I, I still feel like I'm trying to get away with something every time I bring something back. Anybody else, you have that same vibe? Except at Walmart, all right? Because I think Walmart's actual like, policy is we don't care. I, like, it's, you can bring back anything to Walmart and they just take it. And so I'm waiting in line at Walmart with these boxes of paintballs and, I, and, and the line is always forever long because they'll take back anything and so people bring back anything. And so I'm waiting in the line and I finally get to this, this nice young lady that is helping everybody behind the counter and I can tell she's frazzled, man. This poor girl, all she does all day is deal with people that are dissatisfied with their service or with their products. I mean, how would you love to do that all the time. So by the time I got to her, she was frustrated. I tried to be polite. I tried to be nice, um, you know, because I, I feel like if you, if you give respect, you can get respect in those situations. So I, I put those things on the, on the desk and I said, ma'am, I need to return these. I have the receipt. We didn't even use them. It's for a church function, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, uh, and, and I just hand the receipt, push over the boxes of paintballs. And she looks at them like she has no idea, like I'm speaking a different language. And so I had to explain to her what paintball was. So that was exciting. And, and when I finally did, I said, these are the, 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 the paint that goes into the guns. And she goes, oh, no, no, we don't take back ammunition. And I'm like, 
This is more art supply than ammunition. Like, you, you can give me my money back. It's paint. It's not that big of a deal. And so we just kept going back and forth. She was not budge. It just was not happening. And I realized at that moment that it just, I was not going to get the answer that I wanted. She kept saying this thing that I hate when customer service people say. She said, I can't do that. No, you can do that. You won't do that. You can push a button. The drawer will open up. You can get money out and hand it to me, right? You just won't do that. So I want you to find somebody that will do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so I said, I need you to get a manager for me. How many of you have ever been in that place in life where you've had that request? I need to speak to your supervisor. I need a manager. Basically, that's where we find in this story, this guy with his son, he's tried everything else and, and the disciples had no luck in healing his son and he's desperate. And so he finally gets to Jesus. He asks for the manager. Jesus shows up, he heals the son and the disciples are confused and they're a little bit disappointed. And they're trying to figure out why couldn't we do what Jesus just did? And so the, the answer is recorded in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 20, and it says, He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. You see, Jesus has said this already a few times, nothing will be impossible with you. And it's amazing how Jesus uses this descriptive language. You see, Jesus is always very selective in his words. He's, he doesn't just, just say things just to say them. He is always very intentional about the way that he uses illustrations and stories. And so when he goes to talk about faith and about things that are impossible and about the mountain in your life, what he uses is some very descriptive language like this. Listen, everybody knows how big a mountain is, right? And everybody knows that once a mountain's there, it doesn't go away. You don't just move it and pick it up and move it because you want to put a building on that piece of property. The, the mountain stays, right? And so he says, if you have even a little bit of faith, just a little tiny faith in the right place, and you put your faith in God, then those mountains in your life, you can point to them, you can say move, they'll be moved, nothing is gonna be impossible for you. That's how Jesus describes how we can have faith and how we can speak to those mountains in our life because that impossible situation in your life, it is that mountain, right? It feels like to you today, this morning, that impossible situation, there is no way that it can possibly move. There is no way that that mountain is going to go anywhere from your life. It is going to stay put. It's not moving, right? And Jesus says exactly the opposite. All you have to do is have a little bit of faith. But the problem with this scripture to me, and maybe I'm all by myself here, but I'm too much of a control freak. And so I read this scripture a little bit differently. I, I almost read it like Jesus says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, move, then you can go over, pick it up and move it and nothing will be impossible for you. That's how I want to read it because that makes me feel like, okay, I can have faith in God and I can take care of these things by myself. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed and you say to this mountain, move, it will be moved. You don't move it. You cannot move the impossible thing that is in your life. You put faith in the one who can. It doesn't have to be a ton of faith. You don't have to believe everything all the time. You don't have to have it all figured out. But if you take even the smallest bit of faith and put it in the one who can move the mountain, then impossible things quickly become possible. You see, it's easier for us to put our faith in the things that we can see and feel and touch, isn't it? That's just, that's just easier for us. It's easier for us to trust people around us. It's easier for us to trust ourselves. It's easier for us to trust our possessions, the things that we have that we can see. It's a lot more difficult to trust in a God who we can't necessarily see. It's a lot more difficult to trust and just believe that God is going to take care of that mountain for us. 
We don't have to move the mountain. We just have to have faith in the one that can. And this is maybe never more obvious in Scripture than with a story of a guy in the Old Testament whose name is Abraham. And when we're going to read this story today, his name has not yet been changed to Abraham, and so it's going to read Abram, but it's the same guy, I promise. And we're going to start in, in Genesis chapter 15. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a device where you can get the Bible, go ahead and, and find us in Genesis chapter 15. And most of you, if you grew up in church or you went to Sunday school, you know about Father Abraham from the song. Anybody know the song? Father Abraham had many sons, right? Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just sing along, right arm, Father Abraham. You remember? Oh, that is nasty right there. That doesn't even feel right. <laughs> oh, somebody pray through. That is, that is not okay. <laughs> See, my, my, my impossible mountain is they won't, let, they won't let me on the worship team. Even after that display, a beautiful singer right there. That's, I'm, I'm just praying God move that mountain for me, you know? And so Abram has this issue. He has a mountain. He has an impossible situation in his life, and his impossible situation is he and his wife desperately want to have children, in fact, specifically a son to carry on his name, and they can't. They, they, they've struggled with infertility, and, and even earlier in their lives, they could not become pregnant, and so now it's later in Abram's life, and, and what was an impossibility in their younger years is now e even like further away from them. It's even more of an impossibility than it ever was. But nonetheless, God calls Abram to do some amazing things. And Abram steps out on faith time after time after time again. And when, when Abram was faithful to God, God started making some promises to him. And that's where we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. It says this, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Man, I love, if we can just stop for a second, I love the way that God describes himself. God is so many I am's. If you read through the Bible, you see a lot of descriptions of who God is. He is everything. He's the, the alpha and the omega, the first, the last, uh, you know, but when he describes himself as a shield, I don't know about you, but there's just some times in my life where I need to cling to that verse right there, where I need God to be my shield. I need God to protect me from whatever is trying to rain down on my life. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And so God is saying, listen, Abram, I'm going to bless you, but but Abram, in verse 2, said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. It's a, a family member of his, not his son, not, not his own offspring, but somebody that's going to get everything when he passes on. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. It sounds like Abram starts to become a broken record right there, doesn't it? Like, God is saying, Listen, Abram, I want to bless you. You've been faithful. I'm going to bless you. And Abram's like, You... How are you going to bless me? The one thing that I want, God, is a son, and you haven't given me a son. Somebody else in my family is going to be my heir. You haven't given me a son. Somebody else in my family is going to be my heir. He sounds like a broken record over and over. Not that we do that with God when we want something from him, right? We don't sound... Moving on. In verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, you talk about impossible. God is just right now stating that the impossible can be possible because they haven't had a chance. They have not been able to have kids. And God is now saying, you're going to have kids, not just kids. You're going to have a son. This is the promise that God is giving Abram right here in this moment, in this tent or house or wherever he is, that he's having this conversation with God. He's saying, you're going to have a son. And in verse 5, and this is extremely important, and he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. I love it when God gets sarcastic. Man, I love it. I'm serious. 
Maybe, uh, maybe this, this, might, this might just mess your theology up, but if you read the Bible, you're going to find many instances where God speaks in sarcasm to people. And maybe I like it so much because that's my first language. I don't know. I speak sarcasm better than English most of the time. I just, I, I love it. And sometimes for God to get through to me, he's got to be a little sarcastic because sometimes I'm just a little hard-headed. And I know I'm the only one in this room that is like that. See, I told you sarcasm, it just comes naturally. And, and so, like, I, I love that. I love those times in Scripture. You find in, in the book of Job, it's one of my favorite sarcastic moments from God. God lets Job whine and whine and, and, and complain and moan for an entire book of the Bible. And then right there toward the end of Job, he says, finally, God says, oh, I forgot that you were there when I set the foundations of the world. Like, oh, wow, that is awesome. Like, that would get my attention. It might get yours as well, and it definitely got Abram's. He said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them, and obviously he's not. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is an amazing passage of scripture, and if you know anything about Abram, whose name is later Abraham, then you realize that Abraham definitely didn't get everything right from this moment. He made a lot of big mistakes, but he ended up, God came through with all of his promises. Everything that he promised Abraham actually came to pass. And so in this one moment, you've got this guy who goes from having no children at all to God promising him a son, and then not just a son, but as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. Now, this might not be a big deal to you if you grew up in a place where you could see all the stars all the time, but I, I'm, I'm from cities. I grew up in cities most of my life, and so you could maybe see a few stars every once in a while. When we first moved to Newberry, it, I mean, it blew me away. I'm like, I did really not know that there were that many stars that you could all see at the same time, you know, and it's amazing to see all those stars and try to count those. I mean, Abraham must have been overwhelmed in this moment with what God was showing him, and, and it seems like if we just read this casually that God is talking to Abram and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a son. And Abram goes from being angry and disgruntled and maybe a little bit disappointed with his arms crossed inside of this tent or this hut or this house or wherever he is in this moment where he's having this conversation with God with his arms crossed. You haven't given me a son. You haven't given me anything just full of doubt. And then all of a sudden his doubt turns to faith and then it's credited to him as righteousness. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss something subtle in this story that I think can help you and I this morning when we look at our impossible situations. Because what essentially is happening here is Abram is sitting in this tent and he's folding his arms and he's seeing nothing but his mountain in front of him. He's seeing nothing but the impossibility of having children. And it makes him bitter, just like our mountains in our lives make us bitter sometimes, right? Just like the impossible situation that you're facing right now can, can have a, a tendency to make you bitter, make you angry, make you cross your arms and make you question God, right? And so that's where Abram is in this moment. And God does something amazing. He leads him outside. In this tent, in this hut, in this house, Abram has his arms crossed and he is full of doubt in this place. And as soon as God brings him outside, he starts to look up and he sees the stars. Can we just take a little bit of license with this just for a moment? Let's just say that Abram is inside and he is thinking about nothing but this problem, his impossibility of having kids. And that's what he's holding up to God. And that's what's bigger to him than anything when he's inside of this house, when he's inside of that hut. And it's nothing is more, more challenging for him 
him. Nothing is more impossible for him than this. And as long as he stays in there, he stays in his doubt. And God brought him outside and he told him to look up. And when he looks up, he sees the stars in the heaven and he realizes that he is communicating with the one who made the stars in the heaven. And he starts to hold up his impossibility and realizes, wait a second, this thing really isn't as big of a problem as I thought it was because I'm talking to the one who makes impossible things possible. Is it, is it maybe just possible in your life that that mountain that's in your life is still in your life because you're sitting in that place of doubt? And what God wants you to do is move out and step out and look up and hold your impossible thing up to the size of an almighty, ever-present, omniscient God and realize that your impossibility is really not that impossible when you hold it up to God's greatness. Is that possible this morning? Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, whatever that mountain is in your life really isn't as big as you think it is when you compare it to the size of a great God? A God who has just a habit throughout Scripture and throughout our lives of making the impossible things possible. Like, think about this. Think about all throughout the Bible when God did impossible things. God had a habit of healing the sick, of raising the dead. He made the sun stand still for Joshua. He talked through a donkey to get somebody's attention. He walks on water. He feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. He created everything that we see. And the most impossible thing that he accomplished was sending his son to die so that we wouldn't have to face hell after we die. That is an impossible God who makes things possible. And all we have to do is place that little bit of faith in him today. He can make your impossible situation very possible if we get away from our doubt, if we step out of that place with our arms crossed, just wondering why God hasn't fixed it already and get to a place where we realize that God can do anything as long as we have that little bit of faith in him. Now, what does that look like? I don't know what that looks like in your situation. But maybe, just maybe, if if that's you this morning and, and you're saying my mountain has to do with my finances, then maybe, just maybe, you should try instead of, of just waiting for God to just intervene and, and, and just hoping that something happens someday, try sowing into God's kingdom. Try obeying God at his word. Try him. The word of God actually says, test me in this. And when it when talks about giving, so try it. Try and give. Try and sow into God's kingdom. Step out of that place of doubt that you're in and look at it from God's perspective and see how small your problem is next to the one who's big enough to fix anything. Maybe if it's your kids, you stop trusting your parenting skills so much and you just start trusting in a God who is capable of bringing your children back to you. If it's your spouse, maybe you just do what God's word asks and you just love them and you serve them because that's how God wants you to treat them. Maybe that's stepping away from your doubt. If it's at work, maybe you shouldn't worry so much about getting all the credit for what you're doing and maybe worry just a little bit more about God getting the credit for what he's doing in your life. Man, when we view our impossible mountains, those things in our lives that we think can't move in perspective for what, how, God, how God is so big in our lives. There is nothing that is impossible. We don't have to do it. We can't do it. I can promise you, if you try and move your mountains in your life, you will kill yourself trying. But when we place our faith in the one who can move those mountains and we remove ourselves from those places of doubt and we look up to a God who is bigger, then he can make everything that is impossible possible. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.